Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's the one and only V, the Gorilla Economist, coming to you live on this special edition of the Rogue News Roundtable. We have with us two of the main brain trusts that are ha- that are making things happen out there. The one and only Tim Kirby of Russia Hardcore. You can find Tim Kirby at Tim Kirby uh, Russia Hardcore on the Telegram as mm. well. Tim, do you have your a website set up or? Uh, no, uh, the, there's a reason for that. I hate websites. In oh, theory, yeah. my one friend was kind of like, dude, I'll help you set up one. I don't know. I'm just not into the whole website thing, man. As soon as when I was in about college in the, in the ancient times of the early 2000s, someone was like, dude, the future of the web, no more websites, man. Everyone's just going to have like a Facebook account. And yeah. um, I've kind of yeah. bought into that um, un- until I got banned from Facebook. But overall, no site, <laughs> no site yet. No. But you can find him on Telegram. And Tim, what's your Telegram? Yeah, I'm done Telegram, VK, and all that good stuff. Awesome. And we have with us the man who needs an introduction, the one and only Matthew Ayrett is here. Uh, you can find Matthew over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. He has a cacophony of amazing books that you need on your coffee table, in your library, and in the Christmas stockings of those whom you love. Get yourself a good foundation on Western history, where we are and where we are going. Check out Matthew Eret's website, his books, and his Substack, MatthewEret.com forward slash, I'm sorry, Substack.com forward slash Matthew Eret. We're supposed to have Martin Seafon, but I think he might be running late. Uh, we'll see what happens. That being said, gentlemen, welcome. How are you guys doing? Oh, uh, pretty good, Matt. I haven't let you speak yet, so you jump in. You're capable of making a functioning website. You go first. Well, Matt's in Belgium. He is uh, under, they don't have electricity there, so he's doing this under firelight. So thank you, Matt. Not in Belgium, in, uh, in, in, in Basel, the belly of the beast. Oh! They still allow some of the central bankers oh! to have access. To oh, wow. So I'm so jealous. Have, I get to reap the harvest of some Matt, of their... Uh, you're in the capital of of, of luxury watches. I'm I'm so jealous. I'm so. Oh yeah, there, there are a lot of luxury watches. Yeah, they yes. definitely the supposed to take pride in their watches. That's the only That's thing they have going for themselves is the watches and the chocolate. Yeah. Are you going to yeah, come yeah, home yeah, with well, like some kind of new Tissot or something? Well, I've, I'm pretty committed to my current Tissot. Um, that's how it I'm blending in. So that's working out pretty well. I'm not getting any fishy fishy looks or anything. I got my Tissot, so. Oh, I'm not wearing it right now. Um, I'm coming home with a few extra pounds that Cynthia is not too happy about. The chocolate is is bountiful, expensive, (laughs) but tasty. 
The beer is uh, also quite good, I heard. Yes, agreed. Yes. So he's uh, under firelight. No, he's in Switzerland, so he's fine. He's he's uh, they, they use wood burning uh, power plants over there ever since they got off the Russian oil. <laughs> <laughs> but we're thankful that you have internet and that you have electricity and you're surrounded by delectable chocolate and absolutely delicious horological masterpieces of beauty and art. So man, uh, I'm jealous of you. I'm so jealous of you right now. Oh yeah, dude, me too. I could I could probably spend just an entire day just of sort of like window shopping for yes. all the different types of watches and all that, you know. Oh. Amazing. Oh. It, it's crazy expensive, though. I gotta say. I mean, part of the thing is I think the, the Swiss don't pay a lot of money in taxes, so yeah. you see the the reflection of like I, today. Uh, Cynthia and I we went for a couple of double espressos, paid uh, thirteen francs, which amounts to, it's a, about twenty dollars Canadian for two espressos. Whoa! I mean, it was a bit. Yeah. It was a bit of a jarring experience. We're getting used to it. Uh, that being said, they don't expect tips because unlike North America, where I, I come from, where they're allowed to break labor laws by paying servers, you know, <laughs> under minimum wage because they presume they're going to make it up for tips. They they actually seem to pay servers a, a respectable normal wage, so they don't yeah. really give you a dirty look, and they don't expect. Uh, well, yeah. Well, there's the like, there's like the big uh uh like the 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 the, the trinity of uh, places that are rough to visit. That's England, Norway, Switzerland. In terms of it just being ridiculously expensive to do yeah. anything, so you're kind of caught in the uh, unholy trinity of vacation spots. So and, you're just yeah. gonna have to I don't know drink a lot of tap water or something. And he's in the holy trinity of watches. That's right. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Yeah, you know. and Vacheron Constantin. We can throw a Rolex in that mix as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Rolex is definitely in the mix. They're the real ones who made the uh, uh, a lot of the classic styles. I mean, if you look at it, there's a reason why Rolex is popular. Not just because it has like the brand name; it came from somewhere. Like a lot of the defining styles of watches, that's all them. So uh, uh, good on them for doing it, and good on Vostok for doing it in Russia for two hundred bucks. I love Vostok. It. I do too. You Where is it? it? Hold on. It's the AK forty-seven watches. You can get them on Amazon. Are they quality? Oh. Like, do, do they do they have? Because I, I somebody tried to convince me to buy one of those, but I and I I, was, I have I have, I have, I have a few. Oh, yeah, it's a the the movements made in house. This is the the Vostok's equivalent to the Rolex Hulk. Yeah, right you on. can have you can have the Rolex Hulk. You can have one that kind of looks like it for two hundred bucks. Your choice. And, and, and last, <laughs> you cannot kill a Vostok. A Vostok is an AK forty seven. It is you cannot kill it. Well, I uh, love we'll go Vostok here. So. Uh. Damn. And it used to have the exact same colors as my uh, kids' old soccer club that he used to play for. Say la vie. Now I have to get a new one. Say la vie. Man, gentlemen, there are so many things going on in the world. Uh, we have, I don't know if you guys got the latest bombshell information, but it turns out it was not the United States that blew up Nord Stream. It was uh, Ukrainians who blew up Nord Stream. Or, uh, well, didn't the Wall Street Journal say it was actually uh, anti-Putin forces from within Russia? Oh. So it was technically the Russians, but the Russians were against the Russians. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right, that's what it was. But it was it's the U.S. Useful, thank you, eh? It's amazing. Like, <laughs> the level of make-believe here is really unbounded. It's... Uh... It's yeah. unbelievable, man. It's uh, and if you notice how quickly the narrative is changing right now, you know, back mood, which they're talking guys, about. I gotta vanish for a second. I'll be yeah. right back. All right, no problem, man. Do you think they're talking about back mood and how uh, how uh, back mood is like this? Um, you know, the it's so important, and the the Ukrainians are gonna win. They're gonna push back against back mood, and uh, you know, and and it's such an important uh, strategic uh, point. 
And now the Ukrainians are tucking tail and running, and they're they're collapsing in over themselves. I mean, even it was just, it was just a few days ago, Matt, that I was reading articles on the Wall Street Journal that the, the Russians were fighting the Ukrainians with shovels. That's how impoverished the Russian military. But somehow they were able with the shovels and 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 uh, rusty pliers or whatever tools they were using, they were able to push the uh, Ukrainians out of Bakhmut. And now all of a sudden the narrative is changing that Ukraine is going to lose Bakhmut to Ukraine is going to lose the war. And then Ukraine is being blamed for blowing up Nord Stream. I think the U.S. is trying to get out of this mess they created for themselves. What's your take? Matt, you there? Did we lose you? Hello? Matty, you there? I think, I think your video feed is probably eating into the bandwidth. Darn the Swiss. Delicious chocolates. Amazing watches. But uh, internet, who knows? Who knows? Matt, are you there? Matt, you there? Matty? Hello? I lost Matt. I lost Matt and Tim has left me. I'm flying solo. There you go. Hopefully Matt comes back in. Yeah, so if you notice, folks, how quickly they changed the narrative. Oh, Bakhmut is everything. Bakhmut is important. But now all of a sudden, Bakhmut is nowhere to be seen. And um... Oh, I'm, so I'm sorry, guys. Oh, Something no actually got a the very rare knock at the door. Uh, <laughs> a rare event. But any anyways, I'm sorry. I kind of missed out here. I think, uh, did Matt uh, vanish? Did the hamster yeah, get tired? Yeah. The, ha the he has to he has to go find a new hamster to place under the hamster wheel to power okay. the internet. But so what I was, was just what talking about we were I was yeah. just about to ask him the question. I'll ask you, Tim. Yeah. You know, leading up to the whole situation of Bakhmut, they were talking about how how strategically important. He's back, Matt. You know? Oh, he's back. Hello. Oh, wow. Oh, he changes. That's a completely different angle. Completely different lighting. It's amazing how, how that does works. How do you do that? Uh, just change the uh, the settings on the 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 holodeck here. You know? Oh my oh. god! I know I know we're going to talk about the, the situation in Ukraine, which is more important. But man, this luxury environment—we got the luxury watches. That crown molding. This is what happens when you go turn forty. All I can see is just that gorgeous crown molding in the background. Wow, man, amazing! <laughs> Perfect environment to sleep. You look at that molding, and you're like, "This place was made well." But anyways, what was your question, V? I, I, oh, I didn't no, hear the I, second I was just part. asking Matt before uh, the hamster got uh, tired and uh, had fell out. He had to go find a new hamster as well as a, a new background to go sit under. But, uh, you know, the whole narrative is changing. Before, it was, uh, Ukraine is going to win. Russians are fighting the Ukrainians using shovels. Uh, they're running out of ammo. Putin's going to die next week. So now all of a sudden, is the headlines all over the American newspapers right now are that Ukraine is going to lose and now Lloyd Austin, the affirmative action hire over at the Pentagon, has come forward and said, <laughs> "Wow, has come forward." <laughs> sorry, things just got real. Excuse me. <laughs> sorry. So, uh, has come forward and said that, um, um, "Oh yeah, well, uh, now Bakhmut is not a big deal, but Ukraine might lose the war." And then they blame the Ukrainians for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline, which it seems like they're just throwing Ukraine on, under the bus. And the United States is trying to weasel itself out because they're running out of ammo. They're running out of supplies. So that was the question I postulated. Matt, why is it all of a sudden we have a changing of the tide suddenly? 
Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret that uh, they've overplayed their hand. You know, like yeah. the, 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 the the brainiacs trying to manage the, the rules-based international order definitely had a certain scenario that they were committed to last year that involved the collapse economically on every level of, of Russia by, uh, you know, a few months in max of the uh, the military intervention in Ukraine. That um, that didn't pan out. You know, they, they didn't quite anticipate that India was going to absorb so many Russian exports of natural gas of other things that are so vital for the Russian economy, as well as India's economy on a discount, as well as Turkey, Saudi Arabia, other countries that are more than happy to, uh, you know, increase their their purchase of Russian, you know, natural, not just natural gas, but a whole wide array of exports, China, big, obviously. So, I mean, the whole world is transformed and these these assholes are just completely committed to their script. They don't know how to adjust. And so I think at this point, you've got very weak and desperate attempts at troubleshooting going on left and right. Um, the Seymour Hirsch thing had, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag. The, the way I see Hirsch, he's kind of representative, kind of like Jeffrey Sachs of a more oh, rational yeah. uh, uh, grouping within the oligarchy, within the liberal intelligence. Or not, a, I wouldn't even say intelligence, the liberal oligarchical faction, which is not a good moral thing, but they're just a little bit more into their self-interest who deploy some of their, you know, their assets like Hirsch, like uh, Sachs, to uh, to try to put forth feelers to see if it's possible to abort um, dysfunctional scripts when they prove to be you know necessarily abortable. So I think you you've got a certain infighting going on within groupings representing different outlooks of the oligarchy right now, kind of like we did in the buildup of World War II. You know, it wasn't necessarily given that Britain wasn't going to continue its pro Hitler policy in the 1930s before the ouster of the the, the Nazi. You know, the Nazi king, the guy who Edward the Eighth, who taught young Elizabeth the Hitler salute. Um, right. You know, they had to manufacture a little drama to, to get him out of there. And then to, you know, a couple of years later, oust Neville Chamberlain, another pro-Nazi prime minister. But I mean, that wasn't a given that that was going to happen. That, that, that there was a lot of infighting, a sort of civil war amongst the oligarchical class, um, which even continued throughout the war. Right. Like some factions of the oligarchy wanted to put Oswald Mosley into a position of dominance um, and get rid of get rid of Churchill. And Churchill wasn't a good guy. He was more loyal to the empire than he was to Hitler. That's the best thing that could be said to the guy about him. Um, But he was a bit of a, you know, a a troubleshooter in that sense, but still a disaster of a human being and and a rabid fascist, racist, anti you know, genocidalist. And the, the oligarchy sort of in that thing today where they were really good at setting up a program at building up the foundations over decades of a new world order that looked so nice on paper. And now the thing is blowing up in their face and they're doing what they always do. Um, I think Olaf Schultz, you know, his, his visit to uh, Washington is interesting that this is being timed at this moment. I don't know. know exa- what do you guys think? Actually, what do you, what do you guys think? Well, of Olaf I just Schultz? want to say that it's both interesting and a complete secret because they, they specifically said nothing to the press about what was discussed, which generally leads one to believe that it was something very negative or uh, something that would uh, uh, make NATO look even more rocky and shaky than it is right now. I just wanted to say one thing too, about you're, you're kind of getting into the, a little bit of a discussion on like whether historical events are inevitable or not. And I just wanted to jump in because uh, a lot of Russian um, sort of the the more our reality, other people's conspiracy kind of writing sphere always proposed that essentially because the West supported Hitler for a long time, it was inevitable that he'd attack the Soviet Union. And no, it's not. He could have delayed it or 
uh, kind of just been like, oh, no, uh, I'm not ready. And then 10 years later, are you ready to attack? Uh, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm just German. Okay. You know, there's a lot of ways that they could have gotten out of it. So I just I wanted to give you some props for uh, getting rid of the stupid uh, concept that a lot of people who are uh, more open-minded to alternative information, for some reason, they're all, they all sort of believe in this sort of like inevitable destiny of uh, things to come. And uh, again, if the British leadership would have kind of stayed into its uh, mode of the early 30s, uh, things could have been way different in World War II. But uh, yeah, but uh, again, going back to this uh, uh, particular issue, who knows what they discussed, but I do think that probably Biden, I would assume, dressed down Schultz, Schultz to uh, get oh, him to uh, uh, do what he's supposed to do. Because I highly doubt that I'm sure there's some people who are thinking that Schultz, he probably stood up for Germany, and that's why they're keeping it a secret. I I, I don't think he's ever going to stand up for Germany, nor would yeah, Merkel. Nor would really <laughs> I mean, the Germans are finished as a, a, as a country. I mean, think about Sadly, this. yes. Think about this. Uh, sadly, the one American of the great civilizations of our planet is dying right before our dying. eyes. Right before Ironically, our... yeah, uh, in yeah. contrast to uh, Hitler, who uh, caused most of this, if you think yeah. about it, that's the great irony of Hitler. He is the ultimate anti-German nationalist because he ruined them. Yes, he did. But anyways. He, the, the, the funny thing is, is like, think about this. Germany is a country that just got gang raped by the United oh. States throughout this entire Ukraine debacle. Yeah. They're, they're they're like listen. Literally, this is what the U.S. has said to to Germany. They put his, I mean, they put his like it's like Biden taking his arm, putting it around the little little Olaf Schultz, uh, and and telling him, listen, listen, we you know we uh you know we have you gang raped, but it's okay, it's all right. Just move yeah. all your industry here, and we'll take care of it. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, uh, to be honest, here, here's one thing. Okay, if uh, this is uh, what we might have to call a new phenomenon called incidental MAGA, because yeah. if uh, Biden is going to make America great again <laughs> by screwing over Germany, hey, you know, if uh, all my uh, cousins get uh, new jobs at factories that pay thirty to forty dollars an hour. Uh, I might be willing to forgive the whole Nord Stream pipeline thing um, because ironically, I think we're sort of the United States, probably some of the powers that be are starting to wake up to the fact that ironically, they're going to have to kind of go back to thinking of doing things in a multipolar fashion, which means you actually have to have industry and you yeah. can't just completely rely on other people. So there's something right. interesting to this, a little I, bit ironic. I mean, and uh, what, let them. What, what, a, what a very fast way to springboard American chip manufacturing than to bring Siemens on board. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, yeah, well, no, <laughs> yeah, well, let's take all of it. Sure. What you've just – this is so important for people to realize because, again, they have a, a, a very um, black and white view of history, very overly simplistic. And in the mm -hmm. case of like we're talking about um, what was done to bring in – to abort the New World Order project of the, the mid to late 1930s that would involve a you know fascist world order with enforcers – they brought mm -hmm. in Churchill. Now, what did Churchill do? Well, he unleashed what, what I've, I've tended to call the Churchill reflex. And, it, and by the way, is my internet still okay right now? I tried to move closer to the modem. But... On my yeah, end, yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, you're excellent. And what did that involve? Like in the case of Canada, where, where I'm from, um, the policy of the British Empire in Canada, because Canada has just been a geopolitical chess piece. It's never been a nation state ever. Okay. Yeah. It, it's always been a, and it's been playing a role on a varying at different times, killing U.S. presidents, destabilizing the U.S. from the north as the only monarchy of the Americas, completely run by deep state at other times and most of the time, serving as a wedge between a, a potential threat of U.S.-Russian cooperation when the U.S. still had its wits and better more moral sensibilities about it, that long gone now. Um, that's been Canada's sort of British role. 
Now, there's been a policy of keeping Canada underdeveloped as a hewer of wood and a drawer of water, as it is known. That means raw materials resourcing only, no industrial development, no scientific or technological progress of any relevant sort that benefits the people. That's been the policy almost consistently for 200 years. Now, mm -hmm. World War I was a bit of a shift because now when the British Empire had to abort and put down their Frankenstein monster, they had to um, loosen the chains of creativity and unleash certain things that had formerly been verboten in their colonies that would necessitate the increase of the productive powers that would then allow the, the empire, the, the center command structure at least, to, um, to carry out its goal, which was abortion of its project and live to fight another day. So the Churchill program was, okay, let's, let's allow for a limited unleashing of productive industrialization and creativity and innovation within Australia, New Zealand, Canada, more broadly. Of course, they were still happy to kill Indians. You know, that, that, that was oh, yeah. by, the, by the millions. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not human. So whatever they, they, yeah. they just multiply like bunny rabbits. So it, it doesn't matter if we kill off 3 million to, yep. you know, give excess food to, you know, British soldiers that whatever. Yep. But despite that, that's sort of the, the, the contradict, the internal contradiction of empire in general is that every time they have to do something, they have to unleash the thing that they themselves can't control, which is creative thought. And then mm. when you take that genie out of the bottle, it's a bit of a gamble whether you can put it back in the bottle. Some, in the case of Canada, they were able to do it, but it took some assassinations throughout the 1950s, 60s um, that allowed them to sort of get us back into a cage. Yeah. But it's yeah. never a guarantee. It's always a gamble. And I think that's sort of what's replicating right now with the uh, the industrial the reindustrialization reshoring of of heavy industry in America that may happen, although even that is incompatible with the Green New Deal. Well, yeah, exactly. So Matt, that kind of leads me to think that so you're sort of implying that uh, for for the powers that be, sort of then in the in the in the states, uh, they saw the deindustrialization as like some sort of like core policy that was very important. But now they're sort of forced to go against it. Is that how, uh, yeah. what you're getting at? Yeah, they created a yeah they created a mess, and now to clean up the mess or to save their ass from the mess that they created, they have to go against the policy that they've been preparing for for like you know sixty years since JFK's murder. They have to kind of start undoing a little bit of that, but. It, you know, it, it, it again, it just creates a whole mess of contradictions in their own system because they create a whole ideological cult in the masses as well as in the elites that are in mm -hmm. ideologically against industrial development, but they have to do it. So mm. it's, a, it's a messy thing, you know, that they have to do. And they're against it because of the whole like globalist vision or for some other reason? Because uh, they're they, they've got mathematical models that they've been using as part of their ivory tower view of what a depopulated you know one billion people living at sustainable levels in equilibrium with 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 Gaia. That's <laughs> the, the the you know early early seventies when it really got off. Mm. Um, so they have just been completely committed to that mathematical way of trying to organize society, which denies the existence of metaphysical concepts like freedom, dignity, God, soul, like things that you mm. can't chart in a computer model doesn't, it's not permitted to be acted or acknowledged by these Borgs. You mm. know, they're mathematical positivists. Yeah. So, but it's the reality is that these things do exist. You know, and they kind of know it. I think at the uh, at the inner levels, at maybe not at the lower levels like Davos, where you see these idiotic creatures who are just brainwashed in the system, trancing, you know, prancing about. They don't they don't know anything. They're fucking idiots. Klaus Schwab's a moron. Yes, but it's still a little bit higher up into the go higher governing strata from these auxiliaries. Yeah, they kind of know that they need to crush this natural aspiration of human creativity to 
come more into harmony with God's creation, which is what we do when we feel, you know, proud of ourselves, when we feel love and health for our, a, a desire to keep our souls healthy, to do good for our kids and, and those to come after our, our, our bodies die. Yeah. Like that's a natural human thing, which every time we, we act in this way and we, we cultivate our cultural powers of love of beauty, goodness, truth, mm-hmm. we always leap beyond the limits to growth. And they, the oligarchy knows yeah. that, but they also know that their whole formula doesn't work if they allow it. So it's like that old story of Zeus and Prometheus, you know, like Zeus didn't allow for, in, in the case of Aeschylus' story, it's yeah. a wonderful example, uh, allegorically, of this of this thing where Zeus had a whole way of, of banning the use of the knowledge of fire from the mortals yeah. who were expected mm-hmm. to behave like good little animals eating cud, uh, living in caves, and Prometheus... Uh, you know, disagreed with that. Yeah. No. yeah, stole the fire, gave it to man, and and took the pain, took the sacrifice as a real Christ-like figure, right? Uh, who gave his 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 all because he despised the evil that Zeus was, and he loved the potential of what human beings could be, mm. and so he let that vulture eat his liver every day for ten thousand years. And Zeus was like, "I'll let you go. Just give, just tell me how." Because Prometheus, what does it mean in Greek? It means foresight, the power to see mm. the future. Well, yeah, pro. Oh, that. I see. Huh. Yeah. And, uh, and Zeus knows that Prometheus knows how Zeus is going gonna, is gonna to get destroyed in the future. And, and he's like, just tell me and I'll let you go. I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you avoid the suffering. And Prometheus doesn't, doesn't let up um, yeah. despite that. And he, he's very clear in that story that it's because of the love of mankind, the potential that, that allows him to, the strength to do what he does. Right. And every time you see a Martin Luther King Jr. figure, a John F. Kennedy, a uh, a Lincoln who's who dies for something higher than themselves, yeah. they're all invoking awakening that Christ-like Promethean spirit. Right. And the oligarchy is deathly afraid of that stuff taking off. And I think right now in Russia, China, there's a lot more potential for Promethean identities to emerge. And uh, uh, something that I want to actually reveal here, because I don't think I've revealed it publicly on video yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I've made two recent visits to the Duma. Don't worry about what it, it's related to immigration. That's not what I want to talk about. But sort of on camera, off camera, uh, quiet part said loudly. Apparently, in the state Duma, they have a mission to get five uh, to get have it be so that there are five hundred million people in Russia uh, within two generations. So about to, also about these co- uh, like alternative visions for the future. So again, Russia is going to be even more murking uh, the ire of the uh, globalist faction because they want to then triple the population within yeah, two generations. Yeah, uh, some of that's going to involve awesome. immigration. Yeah. No, that, no, that's awesome. And you know, it's, yeah, it's really right. funny. The question that I like to pose, and like what Matt said, which is absolutely hard hitting truth, and what you're saying as well, Tim. Yeah. The question is. Do the globalists hate Russia and China enough to do they hate them more than they love their ideology of Gaia and the greening of, of the world and the planet? Right? I mean, because think about it, like what you said earlier, Matt, in order for them to onshore US industry, it is to hate their very ideology of what they're standing for, right? So mm-hmm. this is the dichotomy they're caught with. Do they love their ideology more than that they hate the Russians and the Chinese? That is a good paradox. Something should be written about that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Let me uh, let me try to go with, with, with one thing that's been very good. Uh, one thing that they did do, okay, about with, with the elites, and I think one thing that's another thing about 
the, the changing nature of the elites is as soon as they put up this financial iron curtain that exists between now Russia, Iran, and uh, the West, um, you know, that was a real moment why a lot of people left, like 1,300,000 people left because they're mostly because their financial destiny was tied to the West. And that was a lot of the oligarchs. For example, one of the biggest banks in Russia is called Tinkov. Mr. Tinkov is gone. He gave up on the bank and now he's in London. So in some ways, uh, uh, the, uh, there's a new potential for the elite that are here to maybe become a slightly different type of elite. Of course, they're all going to have nice cars and a lot of money and, and, and all this stuff. They'll, they'll be a pro-nationalist elite. But yeah, now the character's different because we see what the Russian ultra-rich, like, you know, the billionaires who left and who stayed. You know, it's pretty yeah. funny, Tim. Like, I remember dealing with uh, with Tinkoff Bank uh, yeah. approximately just a couple of months right after the sanctions. And uh, th they were one of the banks that we're looking at for one of my for one of my clients' offshore operations. He's not an American, full disclosure, so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, but anyway... Uh, and it, it, I marveled at the fact that at that point, Tinkoff was not on the sanctions list. He yeah. Could have, at that point, I don't know if they, if they were turned back on. It is it is on the list now as yeah, of right. like a week or two ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. But uh, for a long time, they weren't. Yeah, well, that's because Tinkoff was very uh, globalist in his uh, sort Absolutely. of way of doing things, and they were extremely uh, uh, submissive in their attitude uh, towards uh, the United States, like in theory, if you're a U.S. citizen, basically if a bank, uh, from what I understand, if a bank wants to do business in the United States, they have to uh, submit the financial information of every U.S. citizen that uses that bank the world over. And uh, Tinkov was very good at that. So guess what? Uh, uh, as soon as I started doing a lot of voice acting work via Tinkov, I started to tell the IRS all about everything I did. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Don't show back to the U.S. and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You're not Tim, you're not missing anything here, man. I well, mean, dude, it wasn't, dude, it wasn't that much we're, voice we're action. We're a train wreck away from having another egg shortage, so you're not missing anything here. <laughs> oh yeah, though there's plenty of eggs here, so that's nice. Yeah, but, but anyways, yeah, that's uh, kind of weird. And I have to say that it's, it's the strangest bank because uh, it actually has no offices. It exists completely yeah. like online. It's like a digital bank concept, which yeah, means yeah. the uh, the service is terrible. Yeah, it is yeah. the worst service of any, of any bank I've ever used. It's 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 an absolutely baffling. Uh, futuristic experience. It's like, you know, uh, on the Starship Enterprise, how they could kind of just talk to that uh, voice computer that hears them. It's yeah. kind of like that, but imagine the voice has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then and and then, then there's maybe multiple voices and they're all trying to communicate with you. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. So it's a wonderful experience, but I kind of have to use it because one of my favorite voice acting clients insists on it. So I'm stuck with them for now. <laughs> but there's a there's yeah. an interesting bank in in Canada. It's a, it's a branch or a subsidiary of uh, of ING, and mm. uh, which is a Rothschild uh, inter alpha uh, group bank. ING, right. right? One of the big eleven banks uh, that are part of the Rothschild octopus in in Europe. And so they created a subsidiary a few years back in Canada called Tangerine. Sounds all nice. Now they oh, have, yeah. like, oh, oranges yeah. you can grab whenever you go to the one outlet that exists in Canada. If you if you can get there. But it's the whole thing's digital, and the thing they, they pay you forty to one hundred, uh, sorry, fifty to one hundred dollars to open up a bank account, and they give you commissions of fifty to one hundred dollars for per person you refer to the bank who sets up an account. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. No interest, no fees, no nothing. So I, you know, full disclaimer uh, or disclosure, I use it. Yeah. However, it's evil, and I mean, you could see what they're doing. Like, but it's absurd that they would be able to offer that level of incentives, which they say, oh, it's because we don't have any overhead costs, we don't have any any outlets or people yeah. that we pay. So of course the service is a shit, but that's how we're able to give all of this money 
now obviously they're just trying to attract people into like once a one-stop shop as if it wasn't bad enough already with the too big to fails being what they are that is going to be that much more easy to just sort of control people spending uh, behavioral modification as part of the whole mm. transformation of the, uh, you know, the, the great reset agenda that that's, uh, that's planned out. But let me ask you this, Tim, um, are yeah. there a lot of like, are there such a thing as too big to fails at this point in Russia? Or is there like a wide array, a wide diversity? Oh, of things in uh, definitely. Uh, in, in terms of things, things or businesses that are too big to fail. Uh, RGD, the railroad company, the main one, uh, the uh, Aerofloat, the airline, no matter what happens with airlines, Aerofloat will never go under because they keep it Is up. It Aerofloat? Whereas, it's, I thought it's Aeroflot. Uh, dude, it's, it, it's, it depends on your Aeroflot. pronunciation, but I think that Aerofloat sounds nicer okay Aeroflot. but it's but it is written f-l-o-t in russian yeah, float float would be the yes. float yeah okay. uh so there's yeah. that uh, now when we're talking about banks it's spare bank probably because uh they're really the main bank of russia uh, i believe 75 percent of bank machines in the country so 75 percent are spare bank and the other 25 are everyone else and when you're talking about people who live in more isolated areas, really the only bank there is Spare Bank. So Spare Bank is definitely too big to fail. It would cause, um, like, if Spare Bank, say, failed as a system around Moscow with, uh, just say, bank machines, you can't take out cash. Well, there's a there's VTB, which is also, which is number two, and it's still a very large institution. It's a bunch of other stuff. But if you were out in, like, you know, Kamchatka or something, uh, that could really cause a massive crisis. Sure. Because there's only spare bank, so yeah, yeah, there exists. Spare bank is definitely too big to fail. Uh, and from what I understand, like the Gazprom bank is actually very was what is was very important with these major transactions of okay, we're going to send you X million barrels of oil per day, week, or whatever for this amount of money. And it was, I think, uh, the real Gazprom bank where a lot of that uh, was actually uh, done. From what I understand, so okay. yeah, that one. So is probably it. Uh, of course, there's a few more minor banks, but over time, uh, Matt, unfortunately, the sort of mom and pop or mom and pop gangster banks of the 90s have closed down. There's been a massive, massive decrease in the number of available uh, banks uh, since the 1990s here. So, yeah, I'm not intrinsically for like having a wider rate. Like, generally speaking, if your nation is under the control of, of if, if it's a captured state run by a death cult of oligarchs, then yeah, you it, it's preferable to have small banks, like a wide diversity of, of local banks. Mm -hmm. However, if you actually have um, a legitimate um, governing structure with, with patriots who don't want to kill their people and destroy their cultures in the in a governing like situation yeah. having central you know having big banks that are under the the command of a, of a national constitution and national mandate that's yeah. not a bad thing either yeah. uh it's, it's all well, no, especially whereas in russia one of the things is the way the laws are the problem is i don't know the details of this we'd have to get yeah. someone on but i can see by the facts of it that in russia sometimes it can be much harder to get a loan why because if you don't pay the loan Generally, they consider the bank screwed up because they gave a loan to an unreliable person, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So a lot more of the responsibilities on the bank, whereas in like America, anyone can take out a loan once they're 18, uh, whatever, because no matter what happens, the the person who took out the loan is always at fault and it's their problem no matter what happens. But then you also get into weird stuff where like, you know. Um, the, when I bought my second house, because I didn't buy it in cash, and now that I bought an apartment, uh, I both times had to basically pay for insurance because they're like, well, what if you die? 
<laughs> you know? So maybe in America you could take out a loan without having to buy a health insurance or life insurance plan. Uh, so that can kind of bump up the costs. But at the same time, uh, it is a little bit, you sleep a little bit safer knowing that generally the law is on your side if you miss a couple payments or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. Matthew, what's the European take on everything that's been going on? I mean, you've been, you first of all, tell everybody where you've been up to. You've been in conferences uh, all over Europe. Why don't you share with us what you've been up to and what the uh, general attitude of people are over there with everything that's been going on? Well, it's not that different from anything you, I mean, Obviously, when we go to the, the sorts of conferences that we go to, uh, we, we Cynthia and I spoke at a, a conference just about an hour's drive east uh, west of Dublin um, about a week and a half ago. It was it was a think local conference. Alex Craner was there live speaking. Yeah. Uh, Ellen Brown, Catherine Austin Fitz. There was a, a pretty wide array of people um, who were invited to speak on a, over the course of a full day. About two hundred and fifty attendees um, came, and, and it was great. I mean, everybody was pretty much to varying degrees so-called initiated in the, you know, the, the there were people who weren't surprised by the fact that we're run by a bunch of, you know, oligarchs and the system's collapsing. Yeah. So they were there to figure out like, what do you do? Um, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a big think kind of person. So our, our job was to sort of set a bit of contextual dynamic, showcase a little bit of what is going on in Eurasia. How, how do you have a different system being fought for and defended right now, representing humanity and humanity's genuine self-interests amongst the Eurasian powers and how that could completely transform the entire uh, rules of the game that are shaping the transatlantic, you know, Titanic world that we're all sort of finding ourselves in. But you also had a lot of people who were um, there to present uh, on the topic of agriculture becoming, you know, self-sustaining as far as your, your food production needs, having a community, having mm -hmm. an integrated network that could support, uh, local families, um, local banking, things like that, decentralization. That was, that was a, a topic of discussion too. And so that was, that was interesting. It was very gratifying to have so many people who are just hungry for truth um, come by. There's obviously in the case of Ireland, um, a lot of disappointment since the one singular party that had any hope of showcasing in actual political fashion, some resistance was Sinn Féin. And since Jerry Adams, who had run that, that sort of known, as the more political official branch of the IRA, um, which itself kind of started off really good uh, by partisans of Abraham Lincoln in the in the late 19th century. And after World War II, just like everything kind of good, uh, became infiltrated by Operation Gladio fascists um, and the CIA, MI6, and was turned a little bit more radicalizable. And, and all that to say, Sinn Féin was still sort of the political branch um, and after Jerry Adams was ousted, um, a CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, a devotee was brought in who's just, you know, ultra, ultra maximum liberal. And anything the Anglo-Irish establishment wants, they're going to double down and, and, and only sound like they're a resistance because there's not enough LGBTQXYZ legislation or COVID lockdowns or whatever else. Um, so that's that's something that has to be figured out. Obviously, there is a lot. There's finally a motion towards an anti-war movement across Europe. I mean, every day there's something else happening that's yeah. not being talked about by the media, but that's growing in amplitude finally, long overdue. Um, I don't know why it's taken so long. I mean, I have my hypotheses, but there's generally um, a recognition that all of Europe is being set up to become sacrificial lambs. Um, Absolutely. 
and the whole like as you're pointing to the, the mystique around you know the great ukrainians coming out victorious against evil putin is <laughs> really weak at this point uh lavrov you know alluded to, a few weeks ago to moldova being uh create you know used as a as a new zone where the western you know oligarchs are trying to sort of like light another fire you got georgia riots are happening in a bizarre way impl- implying in my mind that there's more oh, fires it, it is Hungary, yeah. obviously samantha powers is prancing about trying to activate the various you know ngos that are part of the cia complex there to oust orban Sick. um there, there's a whole bunch of things that are that are i think they're trying to desperately do but i think the european population overall is sick of it they're just a lack of ability culturally to just organize what, in a coherent way so far. One thing, Matt, where do you think this desperation comes from? Because about 10 years ago, it seemed like very much we were in their grip, and especially Europe. And now all of a sudden they're acting in desperation. What's changed? That's a good question. You mean the oligarchy that is desperate? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, definitely. I don't think it would surprise you guys. Maybe, maybe one or two people listening might be a little bit uh about this but obviously the the belt and road initiative didn't exist 10 years ago you know 2013 Mm -hmm. was the inaugural october 2013 was the inauguration of the belt and road initiative as a thing which even it took two two more years for that to be respected as a potential rival to the uh the unipolar uh globalized structure so that that was a factor um Mm -hmm. russia's intervention Mm -hmm. into the rules of the game in syria was a big uh secondary factor that i mean russia started after you the, the the Maidan uh, you know color revolution, you Russia started taking things much more seriously. You know China and Russia together began utilizing their veto that they didn't use in the case of Libya, but they began seriously using it to block the attempts at a you know liberal hum, humanitarian intervention in the case of Syria that they they prevented mm-hmm. probably like twelve times. People don't realize mm-hmm. that 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 Syria was saved like twelve times because of Russia to, and China together. Um, so, I mean, I, I think these are, these are factors, but more importantly, on a positive level, I think more and more leaders of the secondary sort of, you know, like the Turkey, Saudi Arabia groupings realized that they ultimately are not that essential. Mm -hmm. Um, they've played a role for a few decades within the context of Henry Kissinger's, you know, and the Zbigniew Brzezinski world order that they built up in Mm -hmm. the seventies. So yeah, they needed Saudi Arabia to be what it was as, as a conduit for certain black ops and, and terrorist funding throughout the eighties and nineties and beyond. And they needed mm. Turkey to do certain things on a similar ne- level that were kind of insidious and they needed, you know, a few other players. Um, but they're all flushable. They're all ultimately recognizing that they don't really play an essential role. And they've recognized that because of Russia, China and the broader Eurasian Alliance, there's, there's actually a yeah. chance to have a different future that involves them having a role to play and full spectrum economies, China's offered Saudi Arabia the ability to have not just oil exports, but also industrial production yeah. for the first time. That was never permitted by the IMF or World Bank. Turkey, as well as looking at the middle corridor of the Belt and Road Initiative, which they play a key role, as well as the north-south transportation mm-hmm. corridor of Russia that they could feasibly really benefit from on a massive level. Mm. And they're just seeing like, holy shit, that's like 30, 40 year thinking in the future that benefits us. We just have to maybe eat a bit of humble pie. So they're normalizing mm-hmm. their relations with, with Syria. They're saying, you know, finally, I'm sorry. We were wrong. We're seeing a little bit, of, not officially, but that's what I think the yeah. sort of spirit of the bridge building is. You know, same thing for Iran is reopening 
bridge building and dipl- diplomatic corridors with Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can also say one other thing about why Europeans um, haven't woken up uh, particularly quickly. You have to remember that all the former Warsaw Pact nations, uh, when they uh, transition from communism to capitalism, whatever you want to call it, sometimes we get in a big terminology debate, especially within Russia, about that issue, is you had this process called lustration, where they uh, basically forced everyone who had loyalty to either communism or Moscow out of the government and everyone who didn't got to stay in. And we also then get into the whole NGO grant machine. But basically, uh, people in Eastern Europe were very much built into this idea that the reason we're poorer than the rest of Europe is because of those darn Russians and the stupid communism, which over time became less about the communism and more about the Russia. And so I think it takes certain people like Viktor Orban, who literally got to the position he's in, because he became a favored son, because he worked against communism and against Russia during his youth, who could wake up and also be that objective to be like, okay, they're not communist anymore. They've kind of become more like us. Okay, we'll work with them now. So uh, Orban apparently is a, is a person who actually um, his head is not in his, uh, you know, between his butt cheeks, which is nice. But a lot of the other leaders within uh, Eastern Europe don't see it that way. I think they're so very much programmed and not just the leaders, but the masses too. They're very much programmed in this Russia made us poor uh, kind of mentality. But as time goes on and the West is making them poor. Yeah. Things might change. Things might become a little bit more gray. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Possibly. Well, I, what was that word using in your, in your excellent interview with, with Scott Ritter um, historic momentum or, or what is it? The, the, the... Uh, historical inertia. Unfortunately, I didn't come up with that term. It existed before me. I wish I could claim that I made it up, but it's historical inertia. That, you know, things, uh, events of the past sort of have this momentum, and it takes a long time to get that momentum to, 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 to vanish. And that's what's happening in Eastern Europe, where people were so programmed into this, Russia made us poor, Russia made us poor, that only now, because of current events, people are sort of starting to change their mind about this opinion uh, which is from uh, long from the past, which may n- have never actually been that true. Then again, well, communism really did kind of actually make people poor. So stiff. I guess it, it is stiff. Russia's fault. It, yep. it, had, it had some serious limits. <laughs> uh, yeah, it certainly did. So that's one thing where uh, you also that's something when you listen to Russia talk about uh, some of its pluses and, and minuses and its relations, they really like to talk about modern Russia. <laughs> they don't really like to talk about Eastern Europe uh, under the red flag very much about sure. uh, good relationships with other countries. It's uh, interesting how we ignore that in Russia, but we do. So, yeah, so historical inertia is definitely, I just do, the more I live, the more I see this historical inertia factor, it's in everything. Well, even in sometimes what uh, average people believe or how they see things. I mean, like, I, there are people who still call Russia communist. They're still just yeah, stuck in this mode of, yeah. you know, yeah. that's the way it was then. No, so that's for China too, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of people who, well, when they China, think of China, China they yeah. think of now and the Cultural Revolution, mm. they have no other idea of anything else that happened after 1972 or something. You know, like it's that's it's it's a it's a it's a well, yeah, we're yeah, of course, China, China is Mao, even though uh, well, well, which Chinese leader said Mao was 70 percent right, and that really was sort of that moment in Chinese history when they oh, was that Deng? Deng. Oh my no, god, Deng, I can't remember. Deng, Deng Xiaoping. Yeah, yeah. Deng, no, no, so, no, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh. Yeah, Deng Xiaoping. It was, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that was that sort of turning point for them where sort of it came official that, like, well, Mao is going to be our historical good guy, 
But now we're going to kind of take things in a different direction uh, from from there. But of course, again, I'm sure there was also a lot of historical inertia based on uh, the way like, because uh, they even say that in China, I believe the generation that's maybe like 10 years older than we are, who are in the like 50s or 60s, who are more like the Mao babies have a certain way of behavior that's even instilled from that generation they were born in. And even though that like those circumstances are long in the past uh they still act a uh, particular way because they're just sort of stuck in that uh time frame uh, the whole boomerism boomerism and this you know mentality of like someone who's 60 tells a 20 year old well your problem is you drink too much coffee and you don't want to work <laughs> you know there's st- in 1960 that could have been true you know you just blow all your money on dumb stuff and you don't want to work well it's your fault you're poor uh things have changed yeah. a little bit since then again historical well, inertia it's fascinating to see the the rate of change because where where it took the West you know three hundred plus years to go from a pre-industrial to an industrial civilization where we yep. can expect to live you know in the case of Canada like seventy nine years on age on average in the case of the U S seventy six point one they collapsed two years over COVID China is now improved China now lives about a year and a half on average older than Mm -hmm. the United States counterparts do, right? It's a complete wild um, paradox for people who think that China is just this completely homogenized, Borg-like slave class of suppressed, destroyed people. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Look at the the longevity charts and compare it to ours, and you're going to see a completely different trajectory. But it's still, on a cultural level, interesting because... They've compressed all of that 300 years into like 30 years or 40 years. Oh, dude, that's the same thing here. I'm I'm, going to make a video about this. I'm going to ruin my video for uh, people, (laughs) for the the people who watch this and that video. They'll find it very boring now. But I want to make this video coming up where I kind of get into this explanation that like for uh, people my age in Russia, okay, their view of America is this like, oh, my God, America is everything. We we, we must worship America. Let's let's try to join NATO. Let's bow on our, uh, get on our knees and... And uh, hope that they accept us in the West. A lot of that can, comes from the fact that when they were, or, uh, basically there's this expression in Russia that we sold out the motherland for jeans and 200 types of sausage. Okay. Because, you know, there's like usually one kind of sausage and who the hell knows what that sausage was in the Soviet Union. But the thing is, is, is you know, is, is those people saw that reality. But like my kids, there are 200 types of sausage here now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they look around and there's cars everywhere. Uh, in America, there tends to be more pickups. There tend to be more SUVs here, but they're still big and big and gas guzzling and four wheel drive. So it's like, you know, for the ch- generation in Russia that's younger, they're in a different universe. And this whole thing of like, oh, Russia's a poor country and we're poorer than the West. For someone who's 18 years old or, or less, that's just yeah. not true. That's not what they've seen their entire lives. Whereas people my age who live here are much more like, oh my God, America, you must be so rich. Why'd you come to this poor country? You're an idiot. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where it comes from. Interesting. I I really want to watch that video. That's good. I know more people. Oh, it's a, it's coming. That's cool. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, oftentimes the demographic uh, issues are discussed in an acultural, apolitical fashion, which is a, a, absurdly incompetent. So to introduce yeah. the the cultural shape, like dynamics, which are animating the hearts and minds of the people actually living in these generations and interfacing with each other. Same thing for like, you know, what I was thinking about with the Chinese case, you see this in a lot of the the Chinese TV shows uh, that I watch on. It's some of the only quality shows you can get that actually are not just, uh, you know, carrying some evil insidious agenda as subtext within the storyline of the shows on Netflix. Mm. It's just where you actually have like little moral lessons and, you know, universal mm-hmm. little insights that are like peppered throughout the stories 
you don't get that in the West anymore. No. All that to say, you see these well, generations well, interfacing well, with each other, and you've got people who are in their 60s, 70s, where which who are still trapped, like you said, in a in a in a mindset of scarcity, in a sort of like yearning for the better Western yeah. world, and then the young people, it's like a a, a totally different world, um, where they've only known that you know uh, we we have choices, we've got cars, we could we got like it, it's not that they're not living in that deprivation. So you've got these interesting generation shifts right now that are that are schism that are, are I won't say clashing because in both cases. There's a there's a future orientation to their societies in Russia and, and China that is absent in the West, but it's interesting to see how they play off each other and uh, fascinating stuff. Do you watch the one that's the teen drama about trying to become the best bodyguard in China? My kids love that. I don't know what's called. No, I, I haven't seen that one yet. But it's um, amazing because it, it, it's weird because that's the plot of it is to become like the best bodyguard in China, but it's also a teen drama. It makes no sense. Uh, but uh, it's on TV here. Well, so it's it, very, is uh, it as good as this uh, this new series that I'm watching? Uh, it's about this superhero. He undergoes a sex change, uh, transfer, you know, transformation, <laughs> and he identifies with like at least 52 genders, and he's uh, fighting against uh, uh, the patriarchy. Is, is it as good as that one? Oh, I, 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 I don't know, but that sounds uh, that sounds very already here, stereotypical. <laughs> but of course, because it's in China, like uh, you know, this one there, there's a female set of bodyguards, the male set of bodyguards, and the the one you know, one of the guys and one of the girls, they sneak out at night, and he steals one of the sports cars because, of course, they train in sports cars. And, you know, he takes this girl out at night to, like, the beach and stuff. And I'm like, the one thing is that all of a sudden uh, I can see this is made in China because all they sort of do is I think they, they kind of, like, hug at the end. I'm like, nah, dude. <laughs> You're taking a chick to the beach at night on a stolen sports car. You're getting more than a hug. But anyways, no, uh, maybe yeah, I think yeah, it's no, better for thing, like, There are these, like, more wholesome. Uh, in Very wholesome. Like, yeah, dynamics between men and women. Like, you don't get just absurdly forced sex scenes or anything like that. You don't get that yeah, at all. Yeah. I mean, there's actually, you can wait a whole season before like two figures who have all this like, you know, energy between them end up even just kissing or something like that. And yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. you're like rooting at that point. Like they got you like pumped up and you're like, yeah, finally. Um, um, which in the case of the West, like we just get bombarded on like the first episode, you're already sleeping with your date and stuff. And it's, it's just... You know, well, yeah, well, that's yeah. the classic like uh, Japanese love drama. I don't know. Does Fukunuki like me? Uh, Fukunuki, <laughs> could you come over here? Oh, no, I bumped into him. Now I'm embarrassed, so I can't tell him I love him. And let's wait three more months. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Like, like the classic Japanese strategy with all of their media. So got to always kick that romance can down the road and make it more uh, dramatic. So I, li I, I, like the, I like the woke uh, you know, program that we have here in the United States so far. You know, growing up in the '80s, I, I was a huge Marvel comics fan. They've they've absolutely destroyed Marvel. Oh they've yeah, destroyed Star Wars. They had enough content between those two to last the next century, and they ruined everything. Well, here V, uh, one it's thing is, uh, you is, is dude, if, if you want to give those movies a second chance, you're going to have to learn to speak Russian very well because when they air them on Russian TV, they actually very often change the translations to take the wokeness out of it. Uh, so it's lots of fun. You get a lot of editing. You know it's a hot movie right now. You ever heard of this uh, movie is being highly hot? It, 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 you can watch it on Netflix. It's called RRR. It's some that's, South, that's an amazing, amazing movie. I, yeah. I watched that twice. I did a yeah yeah we 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 uh, sponsored a review of it on the Rising Tide Foundation website. Mm. It is awesome, dude. It has all like it's amazing. I haven't seen it yet. 
and oh, everybody's like, this is like the best movie you've never heard about. You know, they're like, it's the best movie you've never seen. It's like Rise, Rebel, and Revolt. Yes. Yeah, it's this oh. like this Indian patriotic action movie that has everything. Oh, I see. On top of like a big fuck you to the the British colonialists. It's it's excellent. Well, I'm seeing I, I, a lot of fire and explosions, which, as you know, Matt, you probably know me. I do appreciate some fire and explosions. So, yeah, looking pretty well, good. If you, if you right. like fire and, and musicals. Well, it is India. Let's, let's not kid yeah. ourselves. They, yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. have a musical number. Oh, yeah. They, they, it's really, if this doesn't make you watch it, nothing will. Yes. That actor kind of has Ben's, uh, Ben Stiller syndrome, where he's extremely jacked, but his face doesn't match his jackness. Not to. It's the most entertainment. I've never had more fun watching a film in my life. It's <laughs> And it's so over the top, but they embrace it, it. They make it work. No person will ever rise up against the British. But see, this is why I tell people in Russia, we need to do stuff like this. And they just refuse. No. We will only make serious movies that no one watches. Only. You got to bring in some of these Bollywood. Uh, yeah, get the, like a grenade on an arrow. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and first off, there are not enough action scenes where someone jumps through the air shooting a bolt action weapon. We need more of that. That's amazing. Ah, oh, fire damage does more damage. Yes. Amazing. That's yeah. crazy, man. <laughs> that's that, that's some good times there. That's such a fun movie, man. Uh, if you're yeah. ever feeling depressed or a little bit down or blue or anything like that, just watch that movie. It's like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood <laughs> cannot do that anymore whatsoever. It, it's all about messaging. It's all about indoctrination. It's no. so stupid. What's well, I mean, they're like that, they could send a sort of fun message. I mean, there's a slight message that obviously they sort of imply that British rule was not so hot. Uh, that is a message of a particular type, but they yeah. put it in a fun package, you know. So yeah, I just like or two. Uh, look at the uh, classic, you know, all those '80s action movies and stuff. They generally, uh, when people would see those overseas, they're like, "Yeah, it's American muscle and all this stuff," or and it was cool. It's yeah. just that I think the messaging kind of has to be sort of on in the background of the uh, movie rather than in the foreground, and I think it always works better that way. So absolutely. But anyways. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Well, right. last but not least, gentlemen, we, we're, we're having weekly train derailments here in the United States. <gasps> yeah. What Especially in Ohio. Yes. Oh, this is it. This is what guys. Home state. Well, yeah, that is my home state. I'm from Ohio. Thankfully, if any of you are wondering, uh, the wind and uh, the, the, the direction the water flows from that location, both the wind and the water flow away from where my parents live. So thankfully, my parents are going to survive this. Uh, which is good news for me. But I want to talk to both of you because I honestly don't have an answer to this question um, of as to why this is happening. 
I know uh, I've tried to tell Russian people that I've heard for years that we're having an infrastructure crisis in America, that since the end of the Cold War, besides sort of repaving, repaving like the major interstate highways, we don't do anything. Right. <laughs> Everything is the way it was when the Cold War ended, and that's the, the core part of the problem. But then again, a few years ago, as V mentioned before we went on air, uh, there were a lot of food processing plants that burnt down. Oh, yeah. So is this some sort of invisible American civil war, or is this the... Uh, infrastructure crisis that was written about 10, 15 years ago actually coming to be, or is it some other third factor that I'm not aware of? What do you it's guys a bit think? Of both. It's a bit of both. Um, yes, I agree with Matt. I was just about to say the same thing. It's both. It's eco-terrorism. Uh, it, 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 basically, these are federal um, terror cells activated by you know portions of the, of the fascist side of the government where they're literally killing our food production capability, getting things more uh, centralized and integrated. And also the some of the like I think that whole thing that happened in uh, in East Palestine was was definitely some sort of act. But also the the other six rail I think eleven trains have derailed in the last two months. And the odds of that happening at a statistician, I think it was Jim Willie that said it was like the odd is like one in in twelve million. So it's like it's it's mm. it's incredible. You never have eleven derailments in like three to four weeks. And that's no. what we've had. It's crazy. Well, so you're saying that this is this something an internal government thing? Or are you talking? Is I this mean, it's both? So is this a, yeah, it's both what? because you got to understand in, 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 industry mm. doesn't exist in the United States. People are like, big break manufacturing, bring back industry. If you bring back industry manufacturing, you're going to have to kill the fire economy, finance, insurance, real estate. You know the speculative mm. economy. You got to kill it, and yeah. and it's anathema for the financial powers to bring back back actual manufacturing. Manufacturing requires raw materials. Raw materials require a real mark to market. It requires mm -hmm. real price discovery on commodities, which is something Wall Street cannot do in its current state. And then, and third, because we went to a full-on speculative economy, the, the, the manufacturing base, the industrial base, these are just cottage industries for the financial guys. That's all it is. Good night. Mm -hmm. uh, v, I just sent you a, something in the private chat. Do you see it? It's a two-minute yes. YouTube video. Oh, okay, I'll pull it up. Right oh, uh oh, well, yeah, I think our secrets are about to be revealed. Well, I'm writing an article yes. right now. I, I just I just pressed pause in my article to to jump on board with you guys. Um, I'm but I'm doing something touching directly on this. And if if you guys have not heard about deep green resistance, I highly recommend. Mm. Well, you're going to be introduced to it. Um, mm. let's just watch. This is a terrorist, an eco terrorist recruitment video, oh, um, on their YouTube page. It's yeah, all mm. of two minutes, which is of course then, not taken down. Yeah, no, not of course not. Down. No, that's okay. Mm. There we go. Um, so yeah, let's just run that, and then I'll say a couple of words about this. A lot of the time, deep green resistance gets characterized as an environmental movement, maybe because we have the word green in our name. But I don't think that calling us just an environmental movement really speaks to why I decided to join the organization. I feel like it encompasses all of these issues that are the problem and just they look the same? hide it all together. We well, they well don't. Over the last few well, she looks different. She looks like a uh, security guard in Russia. Do what we did before, which worked. Yeah, we didn't I destroy mean, the planet for those first four. Years. Before civilization, before industrial civilization, we were. Look at this somehow... culture, and we say the sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this funny. Guy. Listen to this yeah. guy. Listen to this All guy. Right. This thing comes down, the better. The sooner collapse happens, the better. Mm -hmm. And so we actually lay out a strategy 
for a way to achieve that collapse. Because we yeah. believe that not Accelerationism. only the world, but humans will be better off without this culture. You know, so many of us are living in a state of alienation, in a state of dependence upon a system that's killing us, that's poisoning us, that's feeding us, you know, this toxic, this toxic imagery, this toxic culture that really destroys, you know, our internal selves, just as it destroys the external world all around us. And we think, you know, it's it's long past time that this culture came down. The war is being raged against the natural world. Okay. This guy is the founder. <laughs> you don't Pentel stop the universe primarily by <laughs> it's Sam Bankman Freed. Stop the war is by Hold on. You mean the FTX guy? Yeah, it is. No, 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 no it's not. I know, no, it's not. Yeah. Terror he said we, is all we have around to us. I mean, war. if the living world could speak, it would say that it's afraid probably every single day of being gutted and torn down. And so I don't think it's fair to talk about terrorism in terms of protecting those who are terrorized Whoa. every single day. The trees. Yeah. The rivers. Um, okay, so you get hit, you get hit stop mm -hmm. there. <sighs> Um, okay, yeah. so there's there's three things I want to say about this. Um, the, one of the co-founders who you listened to there, who was describing the need to go to war um, with industrial civilization, um, his name is uh, Jensen. I forgot his first name, but he got Adam. radicalized as a pen pal of the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, oh, um, wow. who wrote this giant anti-industrial manifesto as one of the conditions for his uh, surrendering to the authorities after he killed, you know, got I, I think something like 10 people or something. No, it was, it was like five people killed, 40 people permanently maimed over the course of 30 years of, uh, of letter bombs that he sent out, targeting people who he identified as being catalyzers for industrial progress. And thus, because industrial progress is um, the cause of the destruction of nature, and he had this mm -hmm. whole formula worked out that basically said in the, stupi the stupidest way that as technology increases, freedom goes down destruction of nature goes up. It's that Ted Kaczynski is a mathematician from MIT. He was an MK ultra, uh, Guinea pig. No, that is how these assholes think it's, they are yeah. logarithms. They're living. And I, I think there's logarithms. definitely some historical evidence to, to, to contradict that about more or less freedom. Uh, I mean, I, there's, there's, well, if you think about the ancient world, I mean, slavery, exactly. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, when, when I'm, when I'm listening to these dingbat, stupid females talking about, it needs to be reset. We had to sell right in four million four million years ago. Four million years ago, she'd be dead without a man. Yeah. Four million yeah. years well, yeah. ago, she'd starve to death. Somebody would butcher her. Well, Somebody yeah, would sell her on an altar of the rain god to make it and also rain. before would probably have cut her throat on an altar to make the gods happy when the weather was bad. Exactly. <laughs> That's well, yeah, people, the much more magical thinking that uh, magical thinking to an extent that, that we would find insane as modern people. And also remember, if you're talking about millions of years, uh, human beings really only became very, very more human like as we know us today when we started, you know, cooking food or something. What was that 300,000 years ago? Sorry, my evolutionary timeline's off. But before that, we were a lot more animal like. So I don't know, like, where is this four million year thing coming from? That said it best. Her heart would have been pulled out of her rib cage, sacrificed to the sun god because there wasn't enough rain that month. No, or she would have just lived like, you know, the pigeons in the park. They and just sort of consume and breathe and die for mysterious reasons that they'd never understand. And what, are they, what who are these people? They're a bunch of, like, middle class and upper middle class white kids. It's freaking nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And check this out. Okay, so on their website, on the Deep Green Resistance website, there's a whole action plan, a decisive ecological warfare on the, so this is how they say it, okay? And I'm just going to read the quote from their website. 
the above grounders will work to build sustainable and just communities wherever they were and will use both direct and indirect action to try to curb the worst excesses of those in power to reduce the burning of fossil fuels to struggle for social and ecological justice. So these are the people who work in the official corridors of like Davos or the banking or corporate sector or whatever. They're the above mm. grounders. Meanwhile, the undergrounders will engage in limited attacks on infrastructure, especially energy infrastructure, oh. to try to reduce fossil fuel consumption and overall mm. industrial activity. The overall thrust of this plan will be to use selective attacks to accelerate the collapse in a deliberate way. That's what these assholes are actually saying is their mandate. This is 2011 on their website. Oh, I'd uh, like to point out that based on Russian research, actually most of the endangered species of whales, at least around Russian waters, have all been revived and restored. There's only like two species of whales around Russia that are still somewhat endangered to an extent. I, I'm just yeah. saying. You want to know something, man? I'm these just saying. People, these are people who never lived outdoors. They have no connection with nature. Yeah. These are like city liberals. They would hug a polar infrared. bear. If they saw a polar bear, they would go to hug it and they yeah. would get their head yeah. ripped off. Yeah, they, they don't realize that like a polar bear is an ultimate killing machine, an absolute killing machine. I'd rather get yeah. attacked by a grizzly than a, than a polar bear. Which, you know, by the like, way, of the of the nineteen uh big like major polar bear tribes or whatever you call them schools a polar bear I don't even know yeah. but that they've been measuring only two of the nineteen have seen a reduction of their population over the past thirty years the other uh, seventeen have massively increased overall polar bear populations yeah, exploded. in opposition to everything we've been told have actually increased massively and when we see them like in water. It's just because they're swimming from one iceberg to another. It doesn't mean that they're drowning or something. No, they I mean, can actually swim, swim for 300 miles. Yeah, exactly. uh, I can also attest one where we were in um, uh, uh, Chukotka in the very far east of Russia. We went on some uninhabited islands, and there's bear poop there because they kind of come on the island. They sort of look around for something, and then they leave. They don't actually live there. So that is right. a part of it. Of course, uh, uh, they're not polar bears. They're a, type, a different type of bear, but hey, same logic. Listen to this, guys. Decisive ecological warfare. You know some U.S. intelligence hack wrote this for them. This is a radicalized federal no. proxy group. Decisive no. ecological warfare is a strategy of a movement that has, that has too long been on the defensive. It is a war cry. Maybe I should read it in a more uh, a gay voice. It's the war cry of a people who refuse to lose any more battles. Like, that sounds like a real environmentalist, if you ask me. No. The last resort of a movement is isolated, co-opted, and weary from never-ending legal battles and blockades. The information in the DWE strategy is derived from military strategy and tactics manuals, analysis mm -hmm. of historic resistance insurgency, and national libertarian movements. The principles laid out in these pages are accepted around the world. As sound Where do these tree-hugging pot smokers figure this out? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure well, they came up, to, came up to this on their own, yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of when they busted that ISIS cell in Cleveland. <laughs> you know, I, oh, yeah. I'm sure that uh, Sam Bankman Freed's, uh, 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 you know, um, uh, body what? double over here, his, uh, his uh, <laughs> stunt double, <laughs> came uh, up with it all by himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, That's real interesting, Matt. But again... Maybe maybe something like that is what's going on or what's uh, behind all this because it is a there's a lot of train tracks and all you kind of have to do is ruin one part of it uh, to cause a huge disaster. Yeah, so. no, I, I mean, and they they've allowed their their the U.S. has allowed its its infrastructure to atrophy 
uh, consistently mm-hmm. for 40 years. You know, like before the 1970s, it was common practice to allocate something like at least 2% of the GDP towards the maintenance and improvement of basic, basic vital infrastructure. Mm-hmm. After 1971, when the dollar was, was detached from the, the fixed exchange rate system, that went down to like 0.01% so that we were just mm. cannibalizing the, the sacrifices and creations of the previous generations. And we were just like sort of cruising, not realizing that we were letting everything atrophy. And now we're yeah. coming to a point of a breaking boundary condition that we've, we've passed where like the, the, um, the federal, I mean, I think the, the recent audit of American infrastructure concluded that $5 trillion needs to be immediately invested into all of this, like the train tracks mm-hmm. that are still using 1950s tech. Um, wow, it's, it's even before the end of the Cold War. Wow. Standards. Huh? I was saying it's even before the end of the Cold War. That's interesting. That's crazy. Oh, man, it's bad. It's so bad. And that, so it, it's easy for them to just like, you know, like light a light a bomb or put something put a put a, a giant log on a on a train track and watch a derailment like there's so many they've made it so easy yeah to carry out mm-hmm. this sort of um attack and we don't have a, as and many this is why guys. all what these infra- very- this is why all these infrastructure attacks especially the 100 food processing plants that have been mysteriously got on fire will never be investigated this that's how you know it's a fed proxy because here's the thing and here's the clincher here's the dead here's where they say the quiet part out loud Think of it like this. We know that we are in an, an overshoot as a species. That means mm-hmm. that a significant portion of the people now alive may have to die before we are back under carrying capacity. Yeah, again, that's based on – again, with the, they always say that with this, with this insane assertion that this is a fact. Yeah. And we don't really know. Like, uh, I don't know. There's really – what is the carrying capacity? We don't even know what it is. It's... Mathematical models have said it's one billion. Mathematically, <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's something. Whatever yeah, it's think, convenient. I think it's not radical enough for Gaia. We have to eliminate at least ninety uh, percent of the world's population. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even more. Five hundred million. It would be perfect, like the great Georgia Guidestones would say. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Well, they say five hundred million. I think so. I would want all these people to say, since they so care about the Earth and carbon footprints and all that. Why don't they erase their own carbon footprint? Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of those um, like, uh, do as I say, not as I do. I think that the part of this thing with 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 this type of person is they really want to be part of that. Like, um, it's like with the uh, with the rapture, they're kind of part of the chosen and the oh. sinners and evil people. They're the ones that are going to be uh, eliminated or oh. snuffed out or whatever. I think that's the logic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sick, so, Absolutely. These, these guys, yeah, they all believe they've got a ticket out of out of the the dark age. That oh, they, they, they think they're going to be the ruling class, like we talk about all the time in Rogue. These idiots actually think that they're going to do all this, and then Jeff Bezos and Tim Cook and uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to be like, finally, you guys have uh, you guys have done it. You've eliminated the entire middle class. Now we're going to yeah. give you the means of production. We're going to give you guys the control here. Come take over. Well, yeah, and also they also forget that um, because generally people like this aren't very politically astute. Imagine if the United States, within the, uh, the the span of some short amount of time, went from being sort of the way it is to almost being like this sort of hippie commune, like agrarian, just live off the land. Get you know what the first thing that would happen? Mexican armies would advance and Reconquista would begin, or right. some someone would come in and just take everything. Yep. So no, the thing is, that's one of the reasons why you really there's no way to really reject technology 
because your adversaries won't. So you always sort of have to integrate it. It kind of depends how you use it, but you can't reject technology uh, and um, have like your own nation state. You can be like the Amish and rely on the American nuclear missile shield and U.S. Army to protect you, but if the Amish had their own country, that country would have vanished a long time ago. Yeah, and I mean, how easy would it be to pick off the Amish, right? If you just had a desire, if that intention was there on the part of those who control the levers of political and military power to just, like, wipe out the Amish, they could do it in a split second. I'm sorry. All of the people romantically talking about detaching and, like, you know— going into their little mini local community hives like like living like Amish people off the land to because they, they don't like the Great Reset. I'm sorry, yeah. they're setting themselves up for for being yeah. crushed massively. You can only um, do that under your if your little community is somehow under a nuclear umbrella. Well then yeah. maybe. Again, like the Amish. Set up like near Iran or or, uh, North Korea or something like that. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. But it's 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 crazy. It's absurd. It's it's absolutely crazy. Again, these are people who forecast into a vacuum. They have no idea. They have no idea beyond their insular little world. Their insular little world, they live in some, you know, God knows where USA. They think the rest of the world just they're just so stupid. The level of low IQ involvement is 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 I'm dumbfounded. I really am. Yeah. But you know, it's uh-huh. similar in many ways to ISIS cuz you got to think it like is. what is the psychology of somebody who is, you know, living in um an absurd uh situation culturally, economically in the Middle East who finds themselves all of a sudden recruited to this divine mission where they're getting paid all of a sudden money, you know, they're they're offered all they have to do is like risk uh, you know, they, they have to just do jihad. Um and they see do, – do some of these uh, figures not see a contradiction in the fact that there are Western military forces providing them logistical military mo- monetary support to carry out an overthrow of Gaddafi or Bashar al-Assad? Or, so, yeah, I, I would think that they see that there's something contradictory, but they ultimately see that there is this higher divine plan um, that favors well, them. So well, when these, That's what it is, and, and, and they also think uh, – yeah, yeah. they also think that the enemy of my enemy is my Habibi, you know? <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, I mean, these, these eco-anarchists are probably, or eco-terrorists, I should just call them that, are probably also aware, uh, some of them at least, that, you know, you have U.S. intelligence, high-level establishment uh, forces within the, the U.S. government and other broader European governments um, protecting them. And mm. you'd think that they might think that that's a contradiction, but then you have people who, like the head of, the, one of the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion, um, his name is, uh, what's his name here? I got it up here. Uh, Roger Hallam, um, giving a, he does a YouTube video called, should we take the money of, of billionaires? And his answer is, well, yes, of course we should. We are, he says, quote, we are dealing, this is the, the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, right? He says, yes, we're dealing with people who cry at night, just like we do. We don't want them to commit suicide. No, we want them to ring us up and give us that million quid. Uh, that's like $1.3 million. And of course, he's mm-hmm. talking about people like George Soros, whose Tides Foundation supplies massive amounts of revenue to Extinction Rebellion. Um, the Goldsmith operation, you know, Teddy Goldsmith, billionaire, mm-hmm. rut, oligarch, rut, you know, British billionaires from the city of London mm-hmm. who are run the Rockefeller Foundation, which is providing massive money to the Children Investment Foundation, which gives money to the Extinction Rebellion. All of these things are being funded by giant billionaire. Bloomberg is another one. Uh, Bill well, Gates. Well, that- and they're saying, like, yeah, we should take money because they cry just like we do at night. 
they yes. have their conscience weighing heavily on them for the destruction that their One economic that maybe in nature. The thing you kind of missed out, maybe the reason the answer to your question is a bit of compartmentalization. Because, like, with especially Black Lives Matter, the organizers are the ones who got to get the nice mansions after the yeah. protests were over. But Whereas, sort of, the, the masses of people participating uh, were very removed from the process and they don't really see the bigger chain. So, perhaps they're sort of at the bottom of the period, the pe yeah. period pyramid. And so they can't see the uh, glorious capstone at the top uh, made of gold or whatever, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that could be it. Um, I'm also always amazed. Number one is uh, even more so, I would say, uh, my one friend who's French, he convinced me of this. And he said that the uh, most paradoxically stupid group of people are French nationalists. He said because <laughs> they all come from amazing backgrounds impeccable uh you know the, their language the way they speak they're they're all extremely well read highly educated even like the guys who are like the mercenary types but they all support ukraine so these like french nationalists support the globalist war against russia and they think somehow with this ukraine because i guess they're nazis that's going to like somehow be good for france in the future that's the one that's truly unbelievable how someone who has a nationalist can fight for the Western status quo, which yeah. is the exact definition of the opposite. Yeah, that's so. this Cartesian poison embedded in the French education system, which results in like seemingly smart people. Like you listen to the quality of talking head debates and shows that they have on French TV and you compare mm -hmm. it to the type of crap we have in the West, which is just jelly in comparison. Yeah. But it, 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 it's a form of like smart stupid. Where they, you know, they all speak with this exact same archetype. That's good. The word is truth, all of them. And they have the worst fucking decrepit opinions that are going to like blow up the world that they all end up result like falling into. There's obviously a faction of reasonable French patriots who are still sort of, you know, breathing. But I mean, it's wild how many smart, stupid people there are in, in France. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe it's just a tribalism thing. People are like, well, I believe in nationalism. And these people look like nationalists like I do. So they have to be the good guys. Let's support them. It's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. Absolutely. The, the, yeah. This whole Ukrainian war has really been an interesting thought experiment in the nature of uh, what human be be beings believe in. Uh, what contradictions they're willing to ignore or accept, or it's yeah. uh, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's not really yeah, unbelievable, gentlemen. Thank you both of you guys for being on. It's been a, so much fun. Uh, we got to do this again. We got to get the we got to get the whole team together uh, next time. But uh, uh, any last things you want to say? Good, uh, Tim, and then Matt. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, I guess um, with this whole uh, pipeline thing, with now we have uh, some different uh, versions of the whole pipeline story. So we could uh, originally it was blame the Russians for destroying their own pipeline. Now we have blame uh, anti-Putin forces within Russia, and the German version is to blame the Ukrainians. So uh, I think maybe the picture of an off-ramp off is kind of starting to come together here, especially the German version. So uh, perhaps uh, we can just sort of say, uh, we being in the people in Washington, uh, can just say, hey, uh, uh, but the, the, the Ukrainians fooled us. They're the ones who destroyed the pipeline and kind of started all of this. Oh no! Even though that doesn't really make sense, do the timeline of events. But who cares? It'll be good enough. Good enough to just step back and let it all play itself out. So magical stories are not just for environmentalist wackos. It's also also for think tanks that are in the exactly. United States. Exactly. And so I think that's something that's going to be very relevant in the near future in terms of like you know the dialogue of what's going on with this 
Mm-hmm. Good, man. Matt, your final words? No, absolutely. I think the British hand also has been sort of uh, consciously left out of this. Gray Zone has done some really great reporting on different elements of the of British intelligence um, behind the uh, well, b- both the the Kerch Bridge blow up as well as the Nord Stream mm-hmm. um, uh, attack. Um, so I think ultimately people should be putting a little bit more mind work as well and thinking about the real Anglo um, origins or, or um, causal nexus of the international deep state operations that have their their different aspects in Davos cliques in the city of London, obviously is the center financial command, Wall Street, the American intelligence, Israeli intelligence. I mean, Israel itself was, after all, set up by the Balfour Accords, by British intelligence back in, you know, World War One periods. Um, Saudi intelligence is going through its own existential fight with this thing, but Saudi Arabia was also set up as a British intelligence operation. You know, like there's nothing that has not been directly impacted in the world that we live in on any level, including the cultural lever- levers in terms of mm-hmm. what controlled the CIA, the CIA's influence over Hollywood, the influence over, you know, European culture through the Congress of Cultural Freedom during the Cold War that basically turned entertainment into predictive programming. Very mm-hmm. little that we've experienced and been shaped by, whether it's Soylent Green, you know, 2001, A Space Odyssey that started like infusing ideas of what AI is, as this like, you know, superhuman force that will inevitably uh, supersede human beings and make us as obsolete as the dinosaurs were when the, when the mammals uh, sprang mm-hmm. up. All this shit has been done with the, the intention to create emotional and psychological effects within us that would render us psycho-spiritually impotent and inclined only to adapt to unjust situations created for us by those who want to re- restore, you know, a, 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 a zoo-like feudalism, which has always been the agenda. So people need to really inoculate themselves from a lot of this crap, separate our, our who we are from that those influences, which takes a bit of time, but it's doable. And mm-hmm. it helps really start seeing what insidious intentions were always there. And then look at the the sort of beautiful future that we could feasibly have if we can like steer ourselves through this oncoming you know few years ahead, which is going to be very tumultuous. But if we are if we have the wits and the moral fitness to survive, we're going to be able to navigate through this by being informed of the best examples of human civilization of the past and think about well, what are actual adults in the room who who are utilizing political power to do things? Not in our part of the world here in the in the transatlantic, unfortunately, but they're they're there. They're in Eurasia. They're 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 actually acting upon historical forces, and there are historical forces um, that are at play. It's based upon a, a battle of ideas, concepts. You know, human beings are the only species that shapes our our species character around concepts, whether right or wrong, about the the universe, the universe's creator, ourselves made in the image and a product of that universe. Other species don't do that. They're just purely, you know, shaped by genetic impulses and maybe the environment you know, in some mix. Human beings have that, but we have the additional thing too. So when we tap into that, we can do miracles. We can overcome limits to growth. We can prove these computer models are wrong. And we can really demonstrate that technology can be, is is the expression of something much more beautiful and good and not just something designed to enslave us for an oligarchical elite. So, but that, that again, is not something we get in our education system. It's not something we get very much in our cynical, you know, black-pilled culture, which just reinforces that space is this place where nobody can hear you scream and aliens go to kill you. It's something other than humans, you know, whereas mm. you think like JFK, you think like, you know, somebody who's a little bit more dignified, you look at space, you look at the universe and you see something that is, that is made in a, in a, 
in a lawful harmonic way that is our our destiny and our right to explore together as a species independent of our local you know ethnic uh impulses or linguistic separate you know whatever i mean the thing that unites us is we're made in a universe that oh yeah dude like you want to talk about mental programming um i think one of the things that was most shocking to me about space that i've ever heard was someone once told me that uh well, we should. It's going to be awful that we're trying to go to Mars because we'll ruin it too. Oh, like that. That's uh, that's. I think the culmination of everything you were saying kind of coming into one. That's good. Yeah, let's end it with that. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said, gentlemen. Thank you so much for both of you guys for being on, folks. Again, you can find uh, Tim over at Tim Kirby Hardcore. Tim Kirby Hardcore over in Telegram, as well as Matthew Arrett. You can find him over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, and the TheRisingTideFoundation.net. And yours truly over at RogueNews.com, RogueNews.com. Thank you, and we're over and out. <laughs>